Well, again, I want to welcome you to worship, whether you're here live in the room or whether you're watching on video. So we are right in the middle of a series we're calling Benefit of the Doubt, where we're talking about the relationship between faith and doubt, and how that looks as we live it out in our daily lives. So if you're with us a couple weeks ago, we kicked it off week one by talking about how faith and doubt actually are complementary. They are not opposite. The opposite of faith is unbelief. But when we are able to express our doubts and share our doubts in a healthy way, it can actually help us grow in our faith. And maybe sometimes the most honest prayer that we can pray as followers of Christ is what that father said to Jesus when he brought his son to be healed. He said, I believe, yet help my unbelief. You know, I believe, I want to believe Jesus, but there's still that doubt. There's still those questions. So I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, then last week, if you were here, Pastor Jason preached a very powerful sermon where he talked about what it looks like to wrestle with God. And we saw how stories throughout the Bible have people that are honestly wrestling with God. They're open with their emotions and their feelings. And even through that wrestling, God sticks. God is there walking with us. He embraces us. He understands what we're going through. And so even in our pain and our struggles, God promises to show up and he allows us to keep wrestling with him as we walk through our faith journey. Well, you know, one of the most heartbreaking conversations I've had, and I've had it a number of times throughout my ministry, is talking to a youth or a student who is active in the church, who has a deep faith in Jesus and is living it out in school and wherever they go. And they go off to college when they turn 18, and they end up taking a class, and they have a professor who who challenges their faith and wants to poke holes in it. And I end up talking to that student later, and the student says, you know, I don't think I have faith anymore. I don't think I believe. You know, there's too many questions. There's too many uncertainties. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. So discouraging to hear that. But then it's so encouraging, on the other hand, to talk to students who, in the same way, are active in the church, and they come to youth group, and they have a relationship with Jesus, and they're on fire for their faith, and they, too, go off to college, and they go to those same types of classes, and their professor maybe tries to challenge their faith and ask some of those big questions, and, you know, they might hear a new perspective, and they might ask some questions themselves, but they come back, and they say, you know what, I still believe in Jesus, I still believe he's my savior. Yeah, there's a lot of different perspectives and there's a lot of interesting things to, ways to look at things. But I'm still on fire for Jesus and I still want him in my life. See, the thing is, today these scenarios aren't just playing out in colleges. They're actually playing out all around us. Because there's skeptics and there's hostile people towards faith all around and they have a big podium Many books are written, and there's podcasts to listen to, radio shows, television shows. And so what I want to talk about today is how you are building your faith. Now, the key word there is building. I didn't say how you built your faith, because faith is always a work in progress, right? What we like to say around here is following Jesus is a growing experience, 
You don't somehow test out at some point. You don't graduate from faith. No, we are supposed to keep on growing, keep on building our faith each and every day. There's another step you can take no matter where you are at in your faith journey. But you know, when it comes to building faith, I think way too many Christians today are building their faith like a house of cards. Have you ever tried to build a house of cards before? You know, get out the deck, all 52 cards, and you start putting it together, and it's not as easy as it sounds, right? Because every card has to be placed perfectly, and they all have to relate to each other perfectly. And if just one card is out of place, or if you just pull one card out, the entire house crashes down. The thing is, the church for many years has tried to help people build a house of cards type of faith. And when people go off to college or they dig into science and history, when their faith gets challenged, all too often that kind of faith comes crashing down. You know, a house of cards kind of faith means that we end up spending way too much time arguing and trying to safeguard and protect every one of our cards while missing out on the main point, which is following Jesus and living for him. Oftentimes, faith becomes a package deal where every single point and every single belief is equally important. And if just one is moved a bit, well, then it impacts everything else. The problem is, ancient writers, the writers of the Bible, didn't write like we do today. And so the Bible is full of all sorts of different literature, all different styles of writing. You've got history, and you've got poetry, and you have character studies, and so on. Also in Hebrew culture, history was always told as a cycle. But what do we do in our culture? We always tell history on a timeline. And so sometimes we have a hard time matching up the way history is told in the Bible and the way we tell history today. Also, sometimes we read through Scripture and we get different census numbers and they don't match up. But in a Hebrew census, it wasn't uncommon to have different numbers given and no one would ask questions. Yet oftentimes that's hard for us to process today. If you read right off the bat in the book of Genesis, there's two different creation stories right off the bat. And the resurrection, the telling of the resurrection in the Gospels, differs in some significant ways from gospel to gospel. And so it just takes one professor or one intellectual to come and focus on one or two or three of these things, maybe point out an inconsistency here or there. And if a person's faith is built like a house of cards, it'll come crashing down. It causes a crisis of faith. And that's why I think so many Bible-believing Christians don't survive college with their faith intact. And not only that, today more and more adults are leaving their faith behind. A house of cards kind of faith is not sustainable because not all beliefs and doctrines are equally important. Jesus said that his testimony was more important than John the Baptist's. Jesus told the Pharisees that they were focusing on the wrong parts of the law. 
When Paul set out to share the gospel far and wide, he made it clear what his focus was. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, Paul says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, Paul is saying, I don't want to create a house of cards type of faith. I'm here to show you what is really important. I'm going to set aside all the little arguments, all the different fine points of theology and doctrine. I'm not going to focus on whether you'd prefer to have guitars or organs in worship. I'm not going to talk about all these other issues. Instead, I'm going to focus on the main thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I desire to know nothing else. I didn't come with all sorts of other wisdom. I just want to focus on the main thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's where the power of God is. That is the foundation of our faith. Now, when we're taught to have a house of cards kind of faith, it often causes us to be defensive and argumentative You know, because we have to fight for every single card or it all falls down. But remember, Jesus' approach to reaching people was not to argue with them or to debate them or to even get defensive. What Jesus did is he went to serve people and to love on people and to care for people. And in doing so, he changed their lives. A house of cards type of faith makes us inevitably focus on who's in and who's out, to create all sorts of litmus tests that you have to have these cards if you want to be in. You need to believe this particular theology. You need to believe this particular point. You need to vote this certain way. You can't go to that place or that place. You shouldn't associate with those types of people. And what happens is we become like the Pharisees. The Pharisees who had all the right cards, but they completely missed the point. One time Jesus called out the Pharisees and he said, you are like whitewashed tombs. What he's saying is on the outside, you look perfect. You have all the right cards in place. But on the inside, you're spiritually dead. You might have all the right doctrine, but you are far from me, Jesus said. So it's so important for us to remember that it's possible to believe all the right doctrine and not live like Jesus taught us to live. I'm going to say that one more time because it's kind of a big idea to get our heads around. It's possible to believe all the right stuff, but still not live like Jesus taught us to live. And you know what? For Jesus, that was something very serious. 
It was something that he called out. Because in the end, what is it? It's hypocrisy, right? Christianity has often focused on having the right beliefs and the right choices as the keys for spiritual growth. But biblical evidence and modern brain science even would show that our character is most deeply shaped by how well we love others instead of just what we say we happen to believe. The most impactful thing we can do is to go live out our faith in the way that Jesus taught us, to go and love other people well. That is what shapes our character. So I believe that instead of a house of cards, we need to look at our faith more like the rings of a circle. Now, at the very center of our faith has to be Jesus. Jesus is true God and true man, God in the flesh. He's the only person who has ever lived who's worthy of being followed. And he came to invite you and me into a covenant relationship. It's a no matter what type of relationship where he sticks with us through our ups and our downs. And it's in a relationship where our faith in Jesus is best expressed and experienced. Without a faith in Jesus, without a relationship with Jesus, well, really, it just becomes another house of cards, a bunch of bullet points on a page. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the corner, chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What did Paul say there? Jesus is the chief cornerstone and everything else is secondary to him. Now, when you think of a cornerstone, don't think of, you know, the, the ornate brick on the side of a building that says like 1962 or something, or one of those bricks that there's a time capsule inside of. No, this was much more significant. You see, the cornerstone in ancient buildings really was the centerpiece of everything that was built. It was load-bearing. It was where all the lines were taken from. There was one that was recently found in Israel that was 570 tons. You can imagine how significant this was. The cornerstone is what keeps everything else from collapsing. Every other brick relates back to it and relies on it completely. In the same way, Jesus has to remain the foundation and the center of our faith. Our faith is built on him and in him, and everything else is secondary to that. And it's living for him, then, that becomes the most important thing. Remember, Jesus asked people to follow him 
without taking a theological test first. He invited people with different backgrounds and worldviews and traditions to leave what they were doing and come and follow him. The disciples, remember, he went and recruited these teenage guys. But with all of their backgrounds that we know of, it was like he went and recruited a libertarian and a conservative and a liberal and a socialist. That was how diverse the disciples were. What mattered most was their willingness to follow him wherever he leads. And along the way, again and again, they often didn't quite get it. You know, they still wanted a revolution. Some of them wanted to overthrow Rome. But Jesus preserved their relationship, even despite their mistaken beliefs. They didn't even really believe he was going to come back on Easter. I mean, we know that because none of them were waiting by the tomb, counting down from 10. They all ran and hid. You see, it wasn't their doctrine that kept them connected to Jesus. It was their covenant relationship that he invited them into. Now, you also might be wondering, why isn't the Bible in the middle? And it's a really good question. Scripture, of course, is important, but it is not as important as a relationship with Jesus. A really smart guy named Martin Luther once said that the Bible is the manger that gives us Christ Jesus. We worship and we follow Jesus, not the manger. The early Christians, when you think about it, they didn't even have a Bible for a couple hundred years later. What should be at the center of our faith, the cornerstone of everything that we are, is Jesus himself. Now, the next rings on the circles are so important to keep straight. The innermost ring includes things that we are willing to die for. The innermost ring represents the things that we will die for, those things that we will stand up for no matter what. These are our core beliefs, the things that have been handed down for centuries, and they unite us with all other Christians. Specifically, things like who is God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who are we? We are sinful and broken, and we need a Savior, and we're saved by grace through faith and other basics of the faith. If you want to check out our full core belief statement, you can go to our website, calvary.org, and read through it. These are the things that we believe are central to our faith and our teaching. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you if you struggle with some of these. And it doesn't mean that you can't come and join us if you're not on board with every one of them. It doesn't mean at all that these are the things that save you. Only Jesus can save you. But these are the core beliefs that give us guardrails and they give us direction. When we look at partnering with other churches, these are the core principles that we look for, for unity. When we look at what, we're, what are we going to teach any particular age group here at the church from children to adults, these are our core beliefs. These are the things that we believe are non-negotiable. You know, if somebody comes and says, you know, but I think Jesus was just a nice moral teacher, 
So that's, you know, it's a great thing to say, but we believe Jesus is the Son of God and he died for our sins and he, he wants a living relationship with us. If someone comes and says, but you know, I believe that we're saved by works, say again, well, our core belief is that we are saved by grace through faith, not through anything we do. Somebody might come and say, but you know, I believe the Bible is just a nice storybook. It's just a bunch of myths. Well, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And it's our final authority on all matters of life and living. We need to be clear about what are those issues that are our die issues. What are those things that we will stand up for? But then the next ring that we have are those things that we will defend. Now, this might look a little bit different person to person or church to church. For instance, Calvary has a Lutheran heritage, but it doesn't mean you ever have to call yourself a Lutheran. It doesn't mean you have to convert to Lutheranism. That's not even a thing. You don't have to have a special baptism. The Bible says that there is one faith, one baptism, and one Lord of all. It doesn't mean that our mission is to go out and make more Lutherans. It doesn't mean that we can't partner with Christians of other flavors. When I was at seminary, I remember a discussion we had in my senior theological class, and our professor asked us, all right, you're all going to go out and pastor churches. What is your chief mission? And one of my classmates said, it's to go and make Lutherans. And I said, is that in your Bible? I mean, I can't find that anywhere. I think it, it says go and make disciples, Right? Well, they were kind of some discussion about that. And then someone said, you know, the biggest tragedy that can happen in the church is when a Lutheran decides to go to a Baptist church. And again, I said, excuse me? Wait a second. So it's a bigger tragedy for a Lutheran to go to a Baptist church than somebody to lose their faith? And some of my classmates said, yeah. We got to be careful about what we defend and what we die for. Now, because we have a Lutheran heritage, there are some things that we will defend. For instance, baptism. We will baptize both children and adults. We believe God is present and active in both. Baptism is not what saves us. Only our faith in Jesus is what can save us. But again, this isn't a die belief. We can get along with other Christians who approach baptism in a little different way. We can partner with groups who may be baptized differently than we do, but we can respect each other. And there are other beliefs and other doctrines that we might defend, but they're not deal breakers. We can still be friends. We can still play together. Maybe things like communion or how we choose to worship or ordination or the list goes on. But then finally, there's another ring. And these are the things that we can just discuss. You know, you might have a particular opinion on some certain beliefs or ideas or doctrines. I think these are the things that are best discussed over a cup of coffee, maybe a beer. We, some of us are Lutheran, right? Now, this could be your view on creation. You know, some people are young earth creationists, some are old earth creationists, and everywhere in between. I think what's most important is that we acknowledge God is the one who does the creating. 
But people come at it from different angles. It could be our view on the end times. There's pre-millennials, post-millennials, amillennials, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. The list goes on and on. I'm partial to what Tony Campolo says. He says he's a pan-millennial. He believes it's all going to pan out in the end. Now, this might be political views you have. It might be how you believe we should worship. All of these issues have faithful people on virtually every side, from every perspective. And instead of fighting and arguing and isolating ourselves, it's best to just have a conversation, to have a discussion. But here is the big problem. It's when we end up elevating, discuss, and defend issues to become die issues. We take things that belong here and here, and we try to put them down here. And what we end up doing is creating a litmus test for who's in and who's out, and we fail to keep Jesus at the center and focus on following him. I once had someone come up to me at church and ask, do you think there'll be Democrats in heaven? I was like, are you serious? And then, yes, he was serious. I had someone else tell me they were kicked out of a church because they couldn't speak in tongues. I had somebody write me a letter one time after I was teaching a class on the various ways people approach creation. They wrote a letter saying that I was no longer a believer and I was going to hell. You see, these are people that are taking discuss and defend issues and they're moving them into the die category. We need to be so careful. Christianity is not about being right. It's not about arguing with people. We're not on a mission to argue people into the kingdom. No, it's about following Jesus and following him on his mission. Jesus said for us to do a couple big things. Go make disciples. Love God and love people. No one has perfect theology. No one has all the answers. In fact, be very, very wary of anyone who claims to have it all figured out. No, we need to have humility and grace and gentleness. Avoid a house of cards kind of faith by having Jesus at the center of everything you do and all of who you are. Don't be afraid to ask questions, to express your thoughts, to express your doubts, Go and study science and history and culture without getting defensive. You know, actually, I think we should be the most curious people around. And when something's discovered, something amazing is shared, our response should be, wow, that's how God did it. Someone comes and says, well, look at what science proves here, or look at this, or look in this microscope. We can say, wow. That's how God did it. See, we serve a God who doesn't say you have to get 100% on some theology test. No, we serve a God who first says, come and follow me. A God who died for us while we were still sinners, before we had any answers, before we could figure anything out. When we keep Jesus and our relationship with him at the very center, well, then we can build a faith that can withstand 
whatever this world will throw at it. And we can ask hard questions and we can be honest about our doubts and we can share our thoughts and our feelings and we can even wrestle with God because our cornerstone holding our faith together is Jesus Christ alone. Amen.